Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pandemic Professors podcast. This is episode 31, if you can believe it. Yes. And we are here today to talk about all things academic during a global pandemic. I'm Kelly Bowling. And I'm Carol Pardon. And Carol, who is our guest today? Well, today we have Chip Stewart, who is a law professor at Texas Christian University in the Bob Schieffer um, College of Communication. Um, Chip is a legal scholar of interesting levels, not the least of which to say he has a brand new book that has just come out where he somehow connects legal issues and science fiction and (laughs) which I think, you know, sort of helps explain um, who Chip is. And we have all sorts of things we can talk to Chip about. But uh, one of the key reasons I wanted him on this podcast is because of his social media presence on Twitter. So Chip has over 4,000 followers on Twitter and he's a pretty bold speaker. (laughs) And so I have (laughs) questions for Chip today on his life as an academic and a uh, Twitter fiend. So Chip, thank you for joining the podcast today. Yes, thanks for having me. Good to hear from y'all. Yeah. So so you actually teach on a Friday, apparently. Yes, I teach uh, this semester Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and I do a seminar on Thursdays. So yeah, I meant so, that combination yeah. of um, the hardest teaching schedule I've ever had, uh, three preps uh, during a pandemic on four days a week. So it's a it's been a challenge. Yeah, but are you surprised? That's one of the prices you pay for having such a strong voice on social media, right? They come and get you no matter what. <laughs> I hope that has nothing to do with it. But, uh, 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 <laughs> more of you know, departmental needs, but yes, it's. Uh, it, 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 I, I wish that I, w- I wish our minds didn't jump to that conclusion because it does feel like that some way. Right, right, right. Well, and I've noticed, you know, you've talked a couple of times about um, some questions that are going to show up on your law exams as interesting <laughs> little news um, rolls out, particularly related to the election. So how is your law class this semester, given the pandemic and the presidential election and all of that? You know, it's it's been pretty wild. It often is. Um, you know, we, we we never run out of good live examples in media law class or in uh, intro to journalism <laughs> class. So I teach those back to back. Like one's mostly a freshman class, one's mostly a senior class, and wow. it's kind of my mind's going in all kinds of different directions. But uh, it's that I, you know, I try to not make them just a current events a class, uh, just current events classes, but they could just be current events classes with all the things going on sometimes. Yeah. And are you doing that um, strictly virtually um, in person or what? Uh, it's a it's a hybrid in person. So I teach in a classroom uh, with a camera up live streaming yeah. out to on Zoom. So I've got the mask. I'm up in a stage that usually sits a room that sits about 140. It now seats 25 in distance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, today one of my classes had two, one had about five and the rest were online. It's our second to last day of the semester. So it's uh, starting to, to wear out. So you know, I have my laptop and I have the, the the classroom desktop going and it's a, so I zoom into my own Zoom so I can yeah. run slides from my laptop. So yeah, it's it's <laughs> been madness for a while. Yeah. And it's just, I'm just sort of marvel at how we all have made these um, adaptions. And, you know, when I think of sort of the beginning of the semester 
you know, I was doing all that as well. And just, you know, thinking, how is this even possible? And now it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, so, so Chip, what did the students think about all of the, the legal stuff going on right now, specifically around the election, all of the challenges, um, you know, the legal challenges? What, what are they yeah. thinking? I, I get a lot of questions every class, which is good. Um, I think it's interesting because my course is a media law course, our media law and ethics course. Uh-huh. And so just straight politics and political stuff and, and the court process doesn't enter too much into my usual topics. But I like to make sure my students get a, a good grasp of how the law works. I actually teach a yeah. whole unit on that. Uh, so in case they are journalists out covering it, they have some familiarity with you know, court processes and appeals and how things work. So, yeah, we've talked through some of the, the challenges and uh, and that are popping up in different courts and why they're in state courts and why they're in federal courts yeah. and how long these things take to resolve and how courts are running hearings. So, yeah, I get some questions about those sorts of things. Um, uh, yeah, And it's I mean, the good thing is people are pretty plugged in. So I'm getting a lot of really good questions yeah. and hopefully being able to help inform them on like what's going on with our democracy not now and just not you know just not like copyright law which is what we're covering uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Unit right now which is right. really important i love copyright law it's very important for communicators <laughs> but yeah. uh, there's other things going on right now that have nothing to do with copyright obviously right yeah. well kelly so, you love media law don't you uh, <laughs> what do you mean it is the best course there is i tell my students every time you are lucky and i am lucky because i get to teach the most interesting course there is yeah, it, I'm, I'm um, a little biased though. Yeah, I will say you sound like you would be a phenomenal media law professor. <laughs> Just in general, the way you're talking about it, you sound very excited, and I think that's I think that's the biggest challenge in teaching people about media law. So um, I think I you sound great. Yeah, yeah. I will. I will say I didn't have media law as an undergrad, but not until. Um, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, but not until a doctoral student. So I think I actually didn't know much about the First Amendment until I was working on my PhD. But um, I do remember, as bad as I, you know, as sort of not great of a student as I was in my media law seminar, realizing that this may be the most important class I have ever taken. <laughs> and I've, I have told my media law professor that many times. <laughs> I really do think that. And I'm amazed how much I actually talk about media law, you know, a gazillion years later. It's just, it's interesting. Um, so um, how in the world did you get to this last book? I know you have a bunch of books that you've written, but what is this science fiction? Um, it's interesting. Um, I, uh, so um, Communication Law and Policy, which is the uh, the journal for the Law and Policy Division of AJMC, uh, did a special call oh, six, seven years ago, I think, uh, for the future of media law and looking at like media law in 20 years down the road or 25 years down the road. And uh, I thought, why stop at 25? Why not look at 50 or 100 <laughs> or 200? That's right. and, uh, and I'm a science fiction fan and had come across a few items and books that I would read and say, well, that's interesting. That's not how the law really works, but it would be interesting if it did. Um, you know, if copyright terms looked like that in virtual worlds, I was reading Ready Player One by Ernie Klein, for example, uh, yeah. which is built in a whole virtual world universe and people were, you know, the copyright terms were different all of a sudden. I know it was just to make an easy plot point, but I saw that, well, that would be fascinating. How would we deal with copyright or media law issues in virtual worlds? And so I, um, I did a little article based on kind of some classic sci-fi for that um, that special issue, and then uh, 
was talking to my publisher uh, for my social media law book uh, that I've been doing since I guess my first issue was 2013 um, uh, with Routledge and uh, bouncing some ideas off of them and the uh, and uh, just progressively boring the editor further and further. And then I <laughs> when I was working on, she said, "Wow, that's really great. Why don't you do something with that? See if you can pull that into a whole book." And then. Uh, and so I did. It took about five years. I realized after a while I need to do a lot more reading and watching of, hey. of science fiction to look for themes, uh, media law themes, and what the future of law and future tech might look like. Um, and yeah, and then I, you know, I had a sabbatical about two years ago where I finally knocked the most of the rest of it out. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was great fun. It was a, it was, it was a challenge. Um, just trying to wrap your mind around hypotheticals in the future in science fiction that don't exist now, but might. Yeah. Uh, fun exercise and hopefully useful. I, I, I keep coming up with uh, chances to maybe add new things to it. And uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll see what comes next on it, but it was, it was fun to write. And again, I hope it, you know, maybe spurs some similar ideas of future thinking and future tech thinking when it comes to law and policy. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So see, Kelly, your, awesome. your research ideas are just, you know, just seem very mainstream now, right? They do, right? My research idea looks totally boring. Yeah, I was reading over some of the chapter summaries of Chip's book because I'm a huge uh, science fiction nerd. All right. And, and so um, I was looking and I didn't notice, I didn't get too far into it, but do you go into um, like Doctor Who? It's funny, I did not do much Doctor Who because some of that's because I'm not as familiar uh, with the, the subject matter enough to get into this kind of detail on it. Yeah. Uh, like I've watched a number of the shows and I've enjoyed it over the years, but I, I didn't see um, as much of a, a, a tech law tie that worked with communication. And that was the mm -hmm. thing with a lot of stuff I looked at. I was very interested in like, I like Octavia Butler, but like almost none of her work covered the kind of stuff that I do. Um, uh, and so that I, that I want to cover on in the book. So I, you know, I only got a little bit into time travel, um, from like, some how do you deal with time travel? Like if a book gets sent back in time, does that alter the copyright term? Just a fun little aside in Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, to the that Day. is fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would say, so your book came time out traveling uh, in the book. Your book came out in 2019, right? September 2019, is that correct? Yeah, it, it, it officially carries a 2020 copyright date, but it came out last year, yeah. Okay, or did it? Maybe it came out. I know. hundred <laughs> years from now, and we're looking back on it. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm a raging liberal feminist, and so I would argue that uh, the best doctor is the most recent doctor, the the only one Jody that's Whitaker, a, yeah, a woman. Yes, I love Jodie Whittaker. And so all of Jodie Whittaker's um, plots surround very what I would call controversial advocacy type issues. And some of them do intersect, I think, with the law, like touching on oppression and, and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, if this published in 2019, it was before it was pre Jody Whitaker fame. Um, right. I guess so. Yeah. But that'd be a fun addendum. It's getting things and say, now I want to look at that. So like, what yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Can you have an addendum when it's a time travel? <laughs> awesome. I mean, come on. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a good example of people who think that academics are just uh, dull and boring people. They have no idea how weird and interesting we are. Oh, yeah. I thank you for phrasing it that way. I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, hey, Chip, so not to keep harping on um, your um, Twitter life, but... 
Um, I am fascinated on how vocal you are on Twitter and how um, critical you've been about um, you know some issues related to COVID and your university and all that kind of stuff. And even in your description of who you are on Twitter, um, you you know mention a little bit that your university isn't necessarily excited about you on Twitter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And so it's been I made abundantly him. clear to me over the years, yes. Yeah, I mean, you as a <laughs> awesome. law professor, right, who's gonna, who is going to take you to task for this? I mean, you know what you can legitimately say and not say, but <laughs> talk through that a little bit, sort of like how you, yeah. how you became such an um, advocate on Twitter and sort of, you know, talk us through some of that a little bit. Sure. It's, it's interesting. I was walking to work the other day and um, a former colleague of mine, she recently retired um, in a... Uh, uh, as, as a staff member, somebody I worked with a lot when I was associate dean, uh, hailed me over, waved, and we talked a bit. And I got the comment I get a lot from people, which is like they'll sidle up to me quietly and say, "Hey, I really like your Twitter account. I really yeah. appreciate your Twitter." <laughs> um, and very often, is it's staff as much as faculty? Um, Interesting. And yeah. they'll come to me and say, "In fact, I remember the words she said to me, and I really appreciate them." Which is that, you know, you are a very privileged person. She was telling me. Um, and I appreciate that you use your privilege for this. Um, oh, interesting. And, that's, mm-hmm. and, and, and that really is it, right? That I, I'm a full professor. I don't have any yeah. promotions left. Um, I am a free speech First Amendment advocate. And I'm an old journalist. And these are all, you know, like kind of call truth to power kind of positions to be in. And um, so I have this platform and I've tried to use it, uh, obviously, for what I think is the good. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and there's just been a number of opportunities where, I, you know, as a survivor of administration, I've been, a, you know, like I said, I was an associate dean for five years. I've seen how things work at the university. And um, and while, you know, and I do want to credit our university, I think they've done some really, really good things and made some good moves. It usually came as a result of a lot of pressure uh, put on by a lot of people. Um, right. but I think they ultimately got to the right places. Um, but I think there's a, there's a really important role in faculty in both in shared governance, obviously, but in taking that advocacy role and making sure we're looking out uh, not just for ourselves as faculty, but for our less privileged members, right? Our tenure track, our non-tenured or non-tenurable, our staff, um, people who do not feel like they can speak out, um, do not feel like that, whether it's injustice or whether it's unfairness, uh, just afraid to criticize anybody because uh, even if they're very, would be absolutely right to do so. And so, uh, so I take that up and it's been interesting with this, I get like all the little leaks come to me, you know, that oh. <laughs> on Twitter and, other oh, places and signal in other places. Uh, and some of them are even anonymous. I don't even know exactly who they are, though. I've got some suspicions. Um, but but I get all sorts of really interesting information about what's going on, particularly in the lives of staff um, about uh, about their jobs and about you know our work conditions. And so I, you know, I try to use my uh, my Twitter account uh, and my voice as a platform uh, for sticking up for people who really don't feel comfortable that they can stick up for themselves. Yeah. No, well, good for you. It's, um, it's much more, um, kind and compassionate than, you know, the answer could have been. So I appreciate <laughs> like, that. I'm mad all the time. I'm afraid that like on Twitter, I seem like I'm mad all the time and I'm oh, generally really not, I'm a pretty content, happy person, but yeah. you know, what can you, ca- you capture in 300 characters, right? Yeah, right. no, I, I have not picked up at all um, your anger, just, <laughs> you know, your boldness, which I um, certainly appreciate. Um, 
you know, being, I'd say Kelly and I were both kind of bold people, right, Kelly? <laughs> people have said, you know, these kinds of things for us. And, and now that our millions of listeners um, know that they can leak important information to you, Chip. <laughs> fantastic. I, I always protect my sources. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So how are things on campus? So TCU, it's a private university. I'm assuming tuition is more expensive than um, at a public university. Have you heard, do students feel like they're getting their full tuition um, cost in this COVID environment? It's interesting. I think when you talk to students, um, they seem pretty happy with what they're getting. Um, I think a lot of times they vote with their feet. So, you know, I have an in-class or in-person class and only two or three students in it out of 25 are designated to be taking it online. And some days I have 20 people taking it online. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And um, I think as long as they know that we care and we're putting in the work, um, and this means, you know, I'm emailing way more, I'm doing way more looks and, and reads of things than before. I'm setting a lot more up individual appointments, uh, whether it's advising or talking through things than I ever have before. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something you can't fake, right? Like you, you, you do the work that, you know, I really do care about my students. I want them to succeed. Uh, and if they have questions about anything, I want them to know that I'm available to them. And so, um, I think as long as they're getting that connection, I feel like they, at least they feel like they're getting uh, you know, getting what they're paying for, you know, for on the educational side, they're yeah. getting the same level of attention. Um, if you ask their parents um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we see the parent Facebook pages and they are not happy with faculty most of the time. They are. Yeah, that's, I've heard that too. And um, oh, wow. same here at South Carolina that a lot of parents are complaining. And it's, it's interesting because um, not to denigrate what parents are saying and thinking, but there seems to be a disconnect with the evidence, right? Uh, right. I mean, you know, what you've described of what the faculty, what you as a faculty member is doing, you know, that's what I've seen here at South Carolina. I mean, we're, we're working our butts off. Um, we're, I mean, doing three times at least um, as much as you, we would normally do as instructors. Um, and the students don't seem to be complaining about it. So I'm not exactly sure where this is coming from with the parents, but. Yeah. Well, I am a, a, a parent. I've got a, a kid who's a freshman at college at Trinity university down in San Antonio. Ah, yeah. And, um, and, you know, likewise, uh, you know, thankfully on a, on a tuition exchange that we're, we're just paying room and board, but, uh, but we do, and most of her classes are, are online and they're working fine. She seems really pretty happy with them. And I'm, you know, where I've been very happy as a parent with them is that they have really great COVID protocols and, you know, yeah. great testing. They've had a total of, I think, 20 cases on campus the entire year. Um, wow. And uh, so they've been very cautious and very, I'd say, even aggressive um, with how they do testing and in their, in their protocols. And a lot, in, in a way that a lot of universities I know can't afford to do or don't have the, um, the support to do. So it's, uh, so I've been very pleased with that as a parent, because I see a university that's that's really looking after its students and its community. And so regardless of how they're delivering the education, I'm very proud of that university for the work they are doing. And you'll try to, I've got friends there. I'd send them notes saying, you know, thank you for the work that you do. Um, yeah. Cause I know it's hard for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Our protocols are pretty aggressive as well. I think they're really encouraging students get to get tested at least once a week and faculty to get tested at least once a week. And there's testing sites oh, all over campus and, yeah, I mean, it's really easy to um, 
to get tested. I mean, it's difficult. So we have the um, the saliva test that's available oh, yeah. all over. Um, I don't know if you've done that one yet, but I, I actually have not done any tests. We've we've had no required testing on campus. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, the saliva test you have to takes a lot of saliva. <laughs> so that was, okay. Yeah, that it took me about 30 minutes to garner up I'll enough saliva. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea I was a dry, you know, a low saliva producing person. It was very humiliating. <laughs> yeah, our university, so TCU actually just made, um, I think, self-administered tests available for everybody uh, in the community. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of a, or I don't know, on the climb of another little spike right now. And so yeah, I think yeah. and wanting to test people before they go home for Thanksgiving, because obviously trying to uh, prevent further spread when people go home is, is ideal. Right. Yeah. Are your students coming back after Thanksgiving or they stay um, home at Thanksgiving? No, so they stay home. They did that. We yeah. uh, did a compressed semester, started a week early, taught a couple Saturdays, and then uh, we wrap up. Uh, we have no breaks, no fall break, no anything. And then we are done with finals the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So then we yeah, come, see, oh, wow. I, come back and wow. I, So many schools are doing that. I can't figure out how we had, you know, all the holidays were taken away. Plus, you know, we had additional teaching time that we had to do, like, you know, general election day. Um, we usually get yeah. that off, did not have that off. Fall break was canceled. We started at the regular time and we finish at the regular time. Really? I do yes. not understand. I mean, it ha- it's all yeah. remote starting at Thanksgiving, but yeah, it's still the same that. number of hours. And um, yeah, I'm like, give me a break, man. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's something I've noticed. I never thought, you know, I thought it was a pretty good idea to motor through and get things in, done in a compressed semester and didn't realize how much we can all use the breaks sometimes. I think yeah, every, yeah, yeah. Um, doing it in the middle of a, you know, a historic election as well is just is, is one more level of kind of stress and anxiety we've seen a lot uh, as well. So it's just been a pretty stressful year, pretty stressful semester for a lot of people. Yeah, that, boy, yeah. Isn't, yeah. isn't that the truth? Um, Are y'all doing anything uh, different next semester, Chip? Um, I think... Uh, to our administration's credit, they noticed uh, the stress levels without breaks and how hard it's been on people. So they're working in um, a mini spring break. It's it's a midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when we would usually do spring break, and they're encouraging people not to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I am skeptical that will work. Yes. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the drive and a lot of it did come from parents was my sense was that they wanted, you know, particularly seniors to be able to have their spring break but they want to have a spring break so they can travel. Right. And you know, they, don't exactly. want, they yeah. didn't want a midweek break. So uh, I'm only teaching Tuesday, Thursdays this fall or in the spring. I'm uh, concerned about anybody teaching on a Monday and Friday that they may have a uh, ghost towns for classes those days. But uh, you know, that's, you know, again, students voting with their feet. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. yeah. Otherwise I think schedule is going to be about the same. I don't think we have any Saturdays we have to teach in spring. Yeah, that's good. Well, we're starting at the same time and in the same time, no spring break, but um, the, the university has decided we will have Wednesday wellness days. Which, okay. So, um, yeah, so periodic instead of spring break, five Wednesdays where there's not classes, which, you know, hardly anyone teaches on a Wednesday anyway. So um, it's just. Yes, and, I, and, and I know that we have a specially branded, you know, term for spring break that's not spring break, and I forget what they call it, but. Uh, it was, uh, you know, cleverly crafted and um, 
And I, like I said, and it sucks so well, I can't remember what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely not spring break. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a midweek refresh or something. Yeah, like that. there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. midweek yeah. refresh. That's, I tell you, that's what I think we all need right now. It's sort of a midlife <laughs> refresh. <laughs> now, how about y'all? Did, did y'all have options? For example, we had the option this fall and it did come after a lot of pushing and a lot of, a lot of negotiation and, and the threat of a no confidence vote ultimately um, to uh, to be able to get the opportunity for faculty to decide whether to teach in person or hybrid or remote. Uh, yes. Yes. So I will, you know, for a number of complaints that I've had about our university, I will say they were very clear that the faculty get to choose. And so, um, and I'd say I mean, some faculty in the fall went straight online. The norm was more hybrid. Um, so you could have the flexibility to do, you know, whatever you wanted to do. Um, so that's, you know, that's how I started out hybrid, both um, in person and online. It's just that more and more students went online until I was down to, you know, just a handful of students. So I switched to online. Um, it's interesting because next semester, um, again, we get to choose, but there is sort of this pressure for um, yeah, more too. people to do in person. And what has happened because of this semester and students um, sort of um, not showing up for class and just, you know, going to the online version, faculty who have been very dedicated to the in-person environment. And so that's what they signed up for this semester at least all the ones I know have said, forget it. I'm not going through this again yeah. and are all choosing online only. Interesting. Yeah. So, so we got the option and I actually think this is pretty sharp, but we got the option as faculty to designate courses as, as in-person only. Yeah. So that basically means like you're either attending in person or if you can't because you're ill or whatever, you'd go through what the usual situation is, which is, uh, you know, you get the notes from somebody else um, or, you know, we'll, we'll record the classes, but we're not live streaming them out. Like you can have access yeah, to yeah, the course, yeah. but you're not participating in that course. So at least in these, so I'm, I'm designating my classes in person in spring, which means I'm only teaching to one classroom instead of an in-person and, and an outside at the same time. And I think, I hope that, so I like that idea. I hope that will work. Um, I hope the pandemic allows it like that. We're not dealing with another spike. So everything has to go online anyway. Right. Um, schools all go, you know, online and I have to be home to help or, you know, whatever, but yeah, I'll, um, but for now I'm designating in person, uh, hoping that, that, uh, that we can, you know, carry that through in the spring. Yeah. Well, good, good for you. That's, um, I hope that's popular. That would, that will, I still think we're probably going to have about half or more of classes being taught online. I'm not sure on numbers yet, but yeah. And Kelly, you're teaching all online next semester. Is that Completely right? online. Yeah. No, I'm setting up the course to be online and asynchronous and I, I, I I don't want to do a hybrid thing. Yeah, yeah I understand that. It, it's, it's the hardest, like I said, the hardest work I've ever done. Thinking about yeah. research and writing and books and stuff like that, that uh, I have not really gotten anything done uh, yeah, on my own. Yeah. In, you know, since March, I, I, I've, uh, I'm co-authoring a paper with somebody that was thankfully mostly done by early March. Uh, we're on an R&R right now and I'm way behind. And it's like everything I can do to try to cut out 30 minutes to work on, to work yeah, on this, yeah. but yeah. everything else has been shut down. I just, 
I, I just can't manage it. My brain's just not there. And I hate yeah, it. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That's what I think, you know, that idea of like your brain's not there. It's, it's the space that COVID is taking, you know, yeah. what you have to think about. It's just, I have found, um, yeah, the teaching to be just utterly exhausting this semester. Oh, yeah. Um, in a way that um, surprised me to no end. And, um, and you know, um, some of my classes are going really well. Like one class I think is going, I'm just sort of amazed at how well they're doing and how flexible they are in this environment. And then um, the other class, you know, I'm sort of like, huh, I think they have totally missed entirely what they're supposed to know and i don't know what to do about it (laughs) yeah and i think that again all all we can really do right is like go in in good faith and try our best and hope our students see our effort and that we understand their effort and you know let's get through this together with just a lot of grace and forgiveness that's the that's the most we can do at this point yeah like i said you we, we can't fake that we care about them um and um and so as long as we're doing that i think it's the the best thing we can control right yeah right and then yeah. if we could somehow put it into that time travel situation, <laughs> right? Go back and, 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 and shut down this pandemic before it started. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. You know, so we really do need Dr. Who. I mean, this is, yeah. yeah, this is a Dr. Who level disaster that I totally <laughs> believe Jody Whitaker could have prevented. <laughs> well, see, there I don't know. Have y'all read uh, the doomsday book um, by, and um, um, Connie, okay, now I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, terrific time travel book where a uh, a scholar again uh, travel a time is actually a grad student travels back to uh, uh, the Middle Ages, bubonic um, oh. plague, and uh, there ends up to be um, some plague problems that go across. Oh, Spoiler alert. awesome! Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, book. Uh, oh, it's from about 15 years ago, and it's driving me so crazy. I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, yeah. It's called Doomsday. Yes, yeah, Doomsday book by um, where'd you go? Connie Willis. Connie Willis. Really well done. Okay. If you're into historical uh, time travel, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, that, yeah. It's my favorite kind of time travel. So yes, I'm a absolutely. big um, Jack Finney fan. So oh, terrific. yeah, yeah. And I read um, oh, what was it? The uh, oh Stephen King book about the JFK assassination. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Um. But yeah, yes, <laughs> might be the might be the answer again. Even just like settling down to read a book is hard sometimes, and I yeah. love yes. kind of reading a book and having time to get my thoughts settled to do that. Uh, it's been a struggle this year, and I and yeah. I totally get academics who are like, where you know, where'd my brain go? I feel like my brain used to be so much sharper, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah all this stuff is just said between stress and anxiety and extra work. It just seems to kind of dull and put a softness you know, on our yeah. thinking sometimes that we're unused to having. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, um, Chip, this has been such an interesting conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> all the way from media law to time travel um, and everything in between. Um, that's what I love about this it's podcast. On Twitter, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we step in one direction and who knows where we end up, but it's always interesting. And this um, episode was no um, 
no different. And I know that yes. you have um, a bunch of meetings, you know, packing right up to this time. <laughs> and even though we can't do time travel right now or expand time right now, so we've got to <laughs> let you go. Um, but I really appreciate you. Really appreciate you um, joining us on the podcast today and hope the rest of your semester goes really well. Great. Likewise, Kelly, Carol, thanks. Uh, thanks for doing this and for taking the time and understanding that it's, uh, you know, this is it. It's important because we're all in a different place where we're doing our jobs differently in a way we've never had to before. And it does really have some effects, but we have, uh, it's important that we have our voice and we have our chance to go out and try to, you know, make sure other people understand that, look out for people in these difficult times. Yeah, yes. absolutely. 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 And Kelly, it's always good to connect with you every week. And I look forward to, you know, who knows what we're going to uncover next week. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. That's right. Awesome. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. See thanks, ya. Chip. Thanks, Chip. You bet. Thanks, y'all.